Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. As you are being seated, if you will join me in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We have had a specific vein of teaching on the last last Sunday evening and the prior Sunday that I was teaching as well uh, concerning uh, building a stronghold of the word. And as I mentioned, uh, we went recently to the minister's conference and at the minister's conference, two of the ministers, uh, Brother Copeland and Mac Hammond, both used that same statement and some of the same verses that we've used in our teaching And so it encouraged me because uh, what a confirmation to hear other ministers of such caliber uh, sharing along the same lines as what God is teaching us here in our church family, a stronghold of the word. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we uh, are looking at the, the importance of our thoughts as we understand what a stronghold of the word would represent. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus is teaching and he said to them, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, yet for your body what you will put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing? And so... The Amplified identifies that he is talking about anxious thought. Take no anxious thought. And this is helpful because before I came to the Lord, I did not have any way to resist wrong thoughts, nor did I know that I could. But now that I am in Christ, I am instructed that there are certain thoughts I should not accept. Take no anxious thought. Take, don't take that thought. There are thoughts that the Holy Spirit will point out to you. Don't take that thought. That thought is not a thought that should have any activity in your mental processes. Amen? So he says, don't take that thought. So verse Let's continue, and I want to read, just go on on down through 34. In verse 26, he redirects their thinking. He says, take no thought, and then he tells them what they should be thinking on. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than them? So he has instructed them. There are thoughts that they should not take. And then he gives them the correct thing for them to be thinking about. Now, I want to look at, at the, the method of his instruction more than the content of what is specifically being addressed in this situation. 
Amen? Because it, there's, it, there's a whole other teaching there and what he's telling them to look at and what he's telling them not to think about. But what I want us to look at is there are things that God will tell us not to think about. Amen? Not to take those thoughts. Why? Because there are, there are no um, thoughts that are um, meaningless. There are no thoughts that where you say, well, I'm just thinking about that, but it doesn't really mean anything. Well, I, I, I have not yet come to the place where I totally agree with that. Because uh, if it's not a thought that is going to get me over in the mindset of God and think along with his spirit and see from his perspective, then even though it might not blatantly be saying it's against God, but it's subtly leading me to think differently, it's still dangerous nonetheless. And so when there are thoughts we should not take, and then there are things that we should govern our mind to think about. Our mind should not be loose and just allowed to think about things that are just whatever pops up, whatever comes into your mind, whatever is presented to you through a commercial or through uh, a Facebook post or something to that effect. No, we've got to determine in advance that I'm in charge of what I think. My mind is my mind. Amen. And I'm, gonna get what, what, I'm going to be responsible for what my mind is thinking on and how my mind thinks, not just the current thought in the mind, but how my mind thinks on a regular basis. I remember when I was um, <clears throat> first saved, and, um, I had not spent a lot of time personally uh, with this person, but it was a person in my family, and because I had just got saved and, you know, that car I didn't steal, but it was stolen, uh, and so I couldn't drive it anymore. And so I had to get a lot of rides for a while. <laughs> and this family member helped give some rides. And every time I would get in the car, uh, he would have on, he would have on talk radio. I had never really listened to talk radio other than Paul Harvey. When my grandparents, when I lived with my grandparents, you remember Paul Harvey? And, and my grandparents would also, my grandmother would, she would listen to the swapping shop <laughs> on the radio. I mean, this was, you know, out in the country in the swapping shop, and that's how we got our beagle through the swapping shop. And, you know, they would, they would you'd swap and shop, you'd swap the dogs and everything. Okay, so I had not listened to a lot of talk radio. And it was either sports talk radio or, you know, local government things going on there in Nashville talk radio. But one thing I noticed was how critical everything they said. It was their, their entire thought processes. And then when Pastor and I first got married, uh, at that time he was very into different sports teams. He's not so much anymore. Uh, but at that time he was, and so he would have on Sports Center just to catch up on what's happened, you know. And those little shows that come on, like Pardon the Interruption or something like that, after the I know I haven't listened to, I haven't watched him in a long time because he doesn't watch it anymore. But but at the time I just I, I began to just 
I'm not paying attention because I don't know what they're talking about because it's sports. And, um, I, but I just recognized they are so critical. I mean, they had not been on a football field in a long time. <laughs> but they talk like they knew what that football player who has been practicing and getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go out and do those drill exercises and that they had all of the right critique and, and how he blew it and how he wasn't good at that. And, and I thought, get yourself down there on that field and show us how it should have been done then, right? But what I recognized is how critical. And I brought it up to my husband. I said, do you realize how, and I know it's the, 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 the name of their game. It's how they make their money to sit around and, and make all of their comments, their commentators, right? They're, they're making comments, but they were all critical comments. And you know what I realized about that family member who it, it, all day, every day, listened to that talk radio? He was very critical in his thought processes. He thought that way because he was feeding on thoughts that were of that same pattern. He was feeding on criticism and became critical. He was feeding on it and it caused the thoughts that began to generate in his mind to also have that same bent, to have that same perception, not just with whatever news they were talking about or sports they were talking about, but he was critical with all of us everybody in the family he was critical with everybody he came in contact with and it's because the thoughts that a person feeds on are going to affect the way they think so when jesus said take no thought for your life and then he redirects them and and look what he's saying don't be worried and allow the thoughts of worry to have you focused on these daily needs. Instead, replace those thoughts with a different pattern by looking at the fowls of the air, how God has supplied for them, and they're not even children of God. They don't even have the ability of a seed. They don't even have a barn to put their harvest in. They don't even have the, the covenant. They don't even have the blessing. Aren't you much better off? So what he's telling them is build a stronghold of a provision mindset. Build a, a stronghold of an abundance mindset. Build a stronghold of a child of God mindset by putting your thoughts over and feeding on the thoughts that you can gain or glean from what you see in that different scenario. Amen? Amen? And then he has the same conversation about uh, 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 lilies. He, he again redirects them to give them another example of something to think about in verse 28. Why take ye thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
New wardrobe every season. Glory to God. So he's telling them to redirect their thoughts. And then he says in verse 31, Therefore take no thought saying. This is a clue. This is a key. This is an important detail. Because when we verbalize, we authorize. When we put it in our mouth, we bring it into ownership in our life. And so that's why we should talk less about the problem and more about the answer. I found in pastoring that those people who will come to me with a prayer request and then I see them talk to 15 other people before they get out of the sanctuary and tell the same thing. I, you, know, I, you can overhear them. They're telling the same thing here and rehearsing it and rehearsing it. And before they've left church, they have rehearsed the problem 15 times. What's their focus on? The problem. Do you remember the woman with the, who was healed of the issue of blood? What was her focus on? I shall be whole. I shall, she switched her focus. I wonder how many times, we'll ask her when we get to heaven, but I wonder how many times during those years that she was trying all the different treatments that the doctors were offering her, I wonder how many times that she told people, well, you know, I tried this and it didn't work, and I tried this over here that Dr. So-and-so offered and it didn't work, and then, then this, this new doctor that came to town, I tried it and it didn't work, and I wonder how many times she rehearsed how much it cost and how it didn't work and how bad it was and, and rehearsed the problem. But when she heard of Jesus, she wasn't talking about the history of it anymore or, or the pain of it or the loss that she had incurred. When she heard of Jesus, she had a new thought pattern. Amen. She had something else that was not only in her thoughts, but it got into her mouth. And so now she is... She is owning it. She says, when I touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. She, uh, that was her faith talking. What she spoke was her faith talking. That was what was abundantly in her heart. And so Jesus said, take no thought saying, and then he identifies questionings. What shall we eat? Is that talking the problem? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? He says, don't take those thoughts by giving voice to them. Don't authorize them in your life by vocalizing them. And then he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So again, we're, we know he's talking about worry. We know he's talking about anxious thoughts and the destruction connected with those anxious thoughts. He's not telling us to be irresponsible. He's not telling us that we should not go clothes shopping and we should not go to the grocery store. He's telling us, don't worry. Because those worried thoughts will try to get in your mouth. And if they get in your mouth, then they have authorization to operate in your life. And so if you'll take the right thoughts and get the right thoughts in your mouth, then we've authorized the right thing. So let's, you know what, we've, let's, let's take this idea and, and let's say, take 
God's thought by saying, My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Take God's thought by saying, I have given and it is given unto me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. God gives into my life. I'm taking God's thoughts by saying them. Amen? Amen? And that brings us over to the outline that we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And in this, we see that it is referring to the weapons of our warfare here in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. It's referring to the weapons of our warfare, and it's giving specifics as to what the weapons of our warfare address or what they deal with. And we see that the um, battle is against thoughts and specifically wrong thoughts. He says, The weapons of our warfare, verse 3, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not of the flesh, but they are spiritual. The weapons of our warfare are spiritual and mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we see the first action that our weapons work to do to pull down strongholds. A stronghold is something that is well established. We're talking about building a stronghold of the word, but it's identified that you can have a stronghold of something negative. And that stronghold could be a stronghold of fear. It could be a stronghold of rejection. It could be a stronghold of of a phobia, a stronghold of a prejudice. Those things have taken time to develop. They did, an addiction is a stronghold. But our spiritual weapons are capable of pulling them down. So a stronghold, if you wanted to draw what a stronghold from the scripture would look like, it would be a tower. It would be like a castle tower or a well-fortified structure like uh, they, they referred to the, the, the refuge in uh, talking about a, 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 a strong tower. The name of Jesus is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. That's talking about a refuge, a stronghold of safety. So the weapons of our warfare can pull them down. And secondly, casting down. Pull down, cast down. Casting down imaginations and things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And then thirdly, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So every thought, we need to to make sure we have brought it into captivity. Every thought needs our attention. Did he say every thought? Does your Bible say every thought? My Bible says every thought. So every thought needs to pass the the scripture test. Every thought needs to pass the Holy Spirit peace test in our heart, right? Every thought. If there's a thought that comes that brings unrest or brings worry or brings fear, we need to address that thought. What is making me think that? What, What did I think? Where did that come from? 
and let me bring it into captivity to the obedience of the anointed one and his anointing. Amen? Amen. So that's, that is how our weapons work to protect us and to defend us against the way the enemy attacks us because he can't get into your spirit. He can only deceive in the mind or the Bible says the God of this world blinds the mind of those who don't believe. So he works with mind blinding. He works with deception. He works with wrong thoughts and he wants them to have activity, he's gonna, they're going to enter as a thought and then if that thought is left unattended or unaddressed, it will become an imagination or it will exalt itself against the knowledge of God. And if that is permitted, if an imagination continues, it becomes a stronghold. So you could say that this list goes from strongest to weakest. And each of them have an activity that the believer needs to apply to the thoughts. If a thought has had activity to the point that it has progressed beyond an imagination and it has become a stronghold in my life, then I need to pull it down. If it's a video playing in my mind, that's what a, a, an imagination is. It has that, that little video effect with details and, and, and like a storyline of what if, what if this happens and then this will happen and then this will happen and this will hurt this person and then this will, this will affect this person and what if this and, 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 and it, 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 if you let it keep going, it gets worse as it progresses, right? Amen. And so if the thought is captured at thought level, and taken captive at thought level, it will never become an imagination. It will never have the opportunity to exalt itself against the knowledge of God in your thinking, and it will never become a stronghold. That's why if we'll renew the mind, pull down all the strongholds, deal with all the imaginations, casting them down, begin to take every thought captive, then we can maintain as the thoughts come to us the captivity of those wrong thoughts and, and refusing the wrong thoughts and not taking and then choosing to take the right ones. Now this is where we want, we, I, I'm, I'm wanting to focus on the building the stronghold of the right thoughts. But we need to address the wrong ones so that we can establish the right ones. So the, the establishing of the stronghold of the Word of God in our life is something that will help us be protected against the wrong thoughts. Because if you have a stronghold, let's say you have a stronghold of your righteousness, that you have through the Scripture and through the study of the, the scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, you know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. That nobody can come and convince you that God's not going to hear your prayer because you know that because of the blood of Jesus and the righteousness and the, the He has justified you by that blood, He has established you as a son of God because of that blood, 
You, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because he became sin for you who knew no sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God. You don't just have some righteousness in your pocket and you might lose it tomorrow. You are the righteousness of God in the flesh because of what Christ did for you. He became sin and you became righteous. That's one of the most important things you can develop a stronghold about. Amen? That's one of the most important things because that gives you access in prayer. That gives you access to, uh, again, that gives you the ability to reject condemnation. That gives you the ability to, to deal with the enemy. That gives you the ability to receive from God. All of those things, your righteousness is a major key to it. And that's why it needs to become a stronghold in your life. If you've already developed that, then there will be a lot of wrong thoughts that come your way that you will automatically dismiss. You'll automatically say, no, no, that's not right. That's not right. No, God's not going to put that on me to teach me something. No, God didn't bring that difficulty to try to, to, to make me learn patience. God didn't put me through this financial test so that, that he... No, no, that's not how... No, you, you already know the truth and the truth has made you free in that area. And so that's why we want not only to deal with the wrong stronghold, but to purposefully develop the right strongholds. So think about this. Three levels. Thoughts, imaginations, and things that, uh, in the negative, things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. But for us, we want, we want to take thoughts that God presents to us from His Word. We want to take those thoughts and we want to build the knowledge of God in us. We want to expand the knowledge of God because we don't need more God. I mean, we went through a whole season in the body of Christ where people were singing, I want more, more of you, Lord. I want more. How can he give you any more? He, he, he can't give us any more. He's given us of his fullness we have received. Is that what the Bible says in John chapter 1? Of his fullness. It says he is, is the head of the church who fills all in all. Who is he filling the church? He's given us of his fullness. We can't get more of God, but we need to know him more. The knowledge, through the knowledge, that's the key to being able to access more of the great and precious promises through the knowledge, Peter said. So uh, the, we, we need to continually feed on the Word of God so that the Word of God, the thoughts of God, are establishing our thought patterns. The more you feed on God's Word, the more you won't think like Him. The more you listen to Him, the more you're going to think like Him. Amen? Amen? And then your imaginations are going to be in line with his imaginations. He wants you to, he gave you your imagination. It is vital. The imagination is so important that God said concerning those people who were building a, t a tower, 
God said, because they have imagined it and they are of one speech, there is nothing to limit what they can do. Because they could see it and picture it in their mind. God wants you to have his pictures, his imaginations, his videos playing. So instead of that negative video, and I use the term video because I remember being a teenager. And as a teenager, there was this morbid, morbid imagination that I, when I would be going to sleep, this would play over in my mind. It was morbid. And it could be because Ozzy Osbourne was my favorite. And Suicide Solution was the favorite song on my favorite album. I think the enemy was working a plan. And so in, in this video that played in my mind, this imagination, I imagined myself dying. And I would be in the casket and I would watch all of my family members come into and look at the casket and how my grandmother would act and how my grandfather would cry and how my mom would sob. And I would just, it just played over and over in my mind. And then after I got saved, I remember videos that would play in my mind about worry. Pastor Steele at the time was working at Blue Cross Blue Shield down in Kansas City, Kansas. And there would be times, especially, you know, when the time changed and it's dark and there's a lot of traffic and everything, there would be times that he would either be working late and we didn't have cell phones, he couldn't really call and tell me, uh, or he had gotten stuck in traffic and I would be nose to the window watching the road for every light that came down the road, every car light. Is that him? Is that him? What is the matter with him? And I would be beside myself, worried, and I thought, what in the world? Because it was a thought pattern. It was, it was the wrong imaginations, and I had to develop the ability to cast down imaginations and to make my mind think on the right things. And so this is not supposed to be about the mind so much as it is about the word, but for us to have a stronghold of the word, our mind is going to be employed in the word. Amen? So let's look over at Proverbs chapter 4. I'm going to pop through some of these that are familiar to us uh, because I know we've been on them but we need to look at them again. Proverbs 4. I made mention of this scripture this morning, but we'll look at it tonight. Verse 20 says, My son, attend to my words. Attend. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. So for us to be giving attention to his words, we will be using our ears and using our eyes. So we know faith comes by hearing. So we know with the ear, but, but having it in front of your eyes is also important for the purpose of developing a stronghold of the word, of imprinting it in your heart by looking at it and hearing it. What we're doing in this verse, uh, this text, is we are 
putting it in the heart. And, you know, in the Dakes Bible, any of you ever have a Dakes Bible? You got to be, you got to have some muscles carry your Dakes Bible to church, right? That Dakes Bible, he'll, he, he was the one who taught that your, the ear gate and the eye gate. You remember that? And he would have a diagram about the ear gate and the eye gate. That's how they flow, the word flows into the heart. That your ear is a gate to the heart and your eye is a gate to the heart. And so he says, incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep is not just um, having it in your heart. This word in the original language means, it, it means to continue having or holding, to defend, to defend. So when it says keep them in the midst of your heart, he says defend. Defend, why? Because we know from the parable of the sower what the enemy's after. He comes immediately to steal the word. That was sown in the heart. It's not us as much as it is the word. If a person gets saved and never goes back to the word, he doesn't have big, a, a big fight with that person. He's not going to be worried about that person having a whole lot of God's assistance or help in their life because if they don't have the word, they're already at a disadvantage. What he wants is the word to stop its progress in the life of a believer. So God says defend the word. And this definition also means to maintain in orderly condition. To maintain in orderly condition. Well, that goes back to the stronghold. I don't want to be trying to believe God with a stronghold of lack in my life. So maintain in an orderly condition. He says, because, verse 22, for they are life. The words. The words are life unto those that find them. Find is an interesting word. In the original language, it means to acquire. But it also means to hold in possession. So it's not just to come across something and discover something and find it and then two weeks later you don't know where it is. It means to find it and continue holding it in your possession. The words are life unto those who hold them in their possession. Which goes right along with what Jesus said in John uh, when he said that if you continue in my word, if you abide in my word, and my, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will. If you continue in my truth, you'll know the truth and it will make you free. So he's talking about continuing and abiding. That means I'm holding it in my possession. That if you searched... If you did a pat down, what are you going to find? If, if the Holy Spirit said, come, I'm doing a contraband search. What's in your heart right now? Remember we talked about that last week. If there's worry, it's contraband. Don't get caught with it. 
go ahead and just cast it right away. It's not worth me having this in my possession. Not worth me having cares in my possession, right? But if they did a search and wanted to do inventory in what's in our heart, are we holding in possession the, thing, the truths that we found? Does Hebrews chapter 2 tell us that, that we should give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we let them slip? You mean to tell me I can hear revelation from God and it could slip away from me? Has anybody ever been in prayer and you got something so good and then you're like, you know, you didn't write it down? And you're like, where, what was that that he showed me? Where was that scripture? And you have to like retrace your steps and like have mercy on me, Lord, and bring to my remembrance <laughs> what you showed me before. Amen? That's why there are, are repetitions of truths that as pastors we go over scriptures that we already know. And the mature believer is able to go to the scripture that they already know and they've heard the pastor teach and teach and teach and teach. But the mature believer is able to go to that scripture and say, show it to me again. There's more I can get from this. I'm not, I'm not, shut, I'm not shutting my eyes and squinting my eyes and saying, I already know everything from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. You could show me. I already know everything from Mark 11. You could show me. No, no, no. I'm opening my eyes wide and I'm saying, show me more. Amen. Because there's always more to see. So this finding means to hold in possession. It is life. And then it says in verse 22 that the words are health to all our flesh or medicine to all of our flesh. So the word that we continue holding in our possession is important. Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 tell us what we should be doing to hold them in our possession. Hebrews gave us a clue. Hebrews said that we should give more earnest heed. More earnest heed, which is attending to the Word. Psalm chapter 1 calls it meditating on the Word. Earnest heed, meditating on the Word. Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So we're delighting in it. And in his law or in his teaching instrument, it's not talking about the Mosaic law, it's talking about the teaching instrument of the word. In his, in his law does he meditate day and night. Now this, ver this word meditate, this verb in the original language, it does mean to imagine or ponder, but it also includes the definition to mutter, to mutter. So to meditate, it helps to mutter, to mutter. It is, that is, if you go to the Strong's Concordance, that's one of the definitions of this word, to mutter. And if you go through and look closer at that, it is giving an illustration of a cow chewing its cud. And when the cow chews the cud, 
it gets a ball of grass in one big wad of grass and it chews on that ball of grass and then it swallows it into its first stomach and in that first stomach it encounters certain gastric juices and then it regurgitates that ball of grass and chews it again. And then it swallows it into the next stomach and it encounters different gastric juices in that next stomach and then it regurgitates it again and it, what does it do? It chews the grass more because it did not get everything out of the grass in the first chewing. After the gastric juices were applied to it, it was able to get more nutrition out, so it chewed it some more. After the second application of gastric juices from that second stomach, it was able to chew it and get more. And that's why we can't just read to try to get heavy doses of, of numeric content. Like I read 14 chapters. Yeah, but what did you get out of it? Amen? We want to chew it and chew it and chew it and then, and then uh, uh, bring it up and, and think it out and then chew it and chew it and chew it. I remember hearing Andrew Womack talk about the raising of his son from the dead. And in that, he said he had been meditating on scriptures about raising the dead. Had no idea of what was going to happen in his son's life. He had just been wanting to see. He said, I would just read those scriptures where Jesus raised from the dead. And I would just picture me there with him. And I would just picture what it was like. And he, he, he put himself there. Amen? Amen? Until he said, I could see myself. Maybe you've heard Keith Moore talk about how Brother Copeland was encouraging him about getting an airplane. And Brother Copeland would say, come on up and sit in the driver's seat. They would, they would be down visiting Eagle Mountain and Brother Copeland would, would be talking to him and he would take him into his plane and he would put him in the driver's seat. He said, get up there and make some airplane noises. <laughs> you know, get up in there and make some airplane noises. And Brother Keith said, he said he would... He would get up there and he would, you know, see himself in that. And he said, but then when I would get back to, to you know, where I was, he said, I would, I would try to picture owning a plane. And he said, I could see the plane and I could see the runway. But when I looked in the cockpit, it was Brother Copeland. And then when I looked in the back, it was Sister Gloria. And there's me and Phyllis on the the runway waving goodbye as they take off. And he said, I had to keep meditating and meditating and meditating and imagining and, and quoting the scripture and seeing myself until one day I looked in the back and it was, it was Phyllis in the back and me in the cockpit driving that airplane, flying that airplane. It, it took some meditation. It took some time. It took some uh, muttering and bringing it up and chewing on it and chewing on it and chewing on it. Hallelujah. He says, if we'll meditate day and night. Day and night. Is that possible? Well, we're meditating on something day and night. We might as well 
choose to meditate on his word, right? To keep it where we're imagining it, where we're perceiving it, where we are pondering it and muttering it day and night. And what's the result? He will be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does, it, whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever she does shall prosper. How? Because the word is the thought processes fueling our decisions, fueling our perceptions, fueling our activity, fueling our lives day and night. Joshua 1 verse 8. Hallelujah. This book of the law, again, teaching instrument, the word of God, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Shall not depart out of your mouth. But you will meditate therein. Was well, he talking about the mind or talking about the mouth? Both. If you have it in your mouth, it's in your mind. You cannot talk without thinking about it. You have to employ your mind to use your mouth. So if you are speaking the word, your mind is forced to think on it. Hallelujah. That's why Jesus said, don't take the thought by saying it. Because when you say it, it brings it into the mind and the mind is forced. That's why we don't want to talk the problem. We don't want to even pray the problem. There's no scripture that says pray the problem. It says what things soever you desire when you pray. You already know the problem. God already knows the problem. Just go ahead and pray the answer. Why? Because then you are, are giving the authorization for the answer to come to pass in your life. So he says here in verse 8, It shall not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate therein day and night. Again, this is something that needs to have our attention throughout the day. So that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you will make your way prosperous. Well, we know it's God's word that's the fuel. He gets all the glory because we can't do this process without him. <laughs> Amen. Amen? But we're going to make the right decisions and position ourselves in the right position because we've been meditating on his word, we will make our way prosperous because wisdom is the flow of the word of God. If, we're, if all we're thinking on and all we are meditating on and all that we've got in our mouth is the word of God, then we are, we are fellowshipping with wisdom himself, Amen. with the wisdom of God. And so we'll make our way prosperous and we will have good success. Yes. Hallelujah. 
What an example Joshua gives us. What an example of good success. Because they were in a battle that he said, if the sun goes down, we will be at a disadvantage because we don't know the terrain, we don't know the territory. So, sun, stand still. Moon, don't you move. And God hearkened to the voice of Joshua. Why? Because he had been meditating in the word of God and he had good success and he prospered in that moment. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I want to uh, look in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and and as you're turning there, I'm just going to remind you of two scriptures that I don't necessarily want you to turn to, but if you want to write down the scripture references. Hebrews 13, we've talked about before in a previous teaching on this. Hebrews 13, the latter part of verse 5 and the first part of verse 6, it says, uh, The Lord has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do to me. And so we see from that pattern, that template, that there are things that God says for the purpose of us saying it. Amen? We know uh, from Psalm 91, that template is also uh, identified here. He says in verse 1, I, uh, uh, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2, I will say of the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. And then verse 3 begins to identify what benefit is now available because of what you said about the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So in both Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 and here in Psalm 91, we see that there are things that we say that activate and, and connect us to what God has already said and made available in His Word. That our voice gives activation to it. Here in Deuteronomy 30, I want to see how God refers to this. In verse 19, He said, I call heaven and earth to record or to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your seed may live. Well, God had declared some things. And God said, heaven and earth will record this. This is on record what has been spoken. It is on record that you know this, that this has been spoken. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. What I have spoken is on record. Well, the things that we speak are on record. The things that we say are on record. Do you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 that we will give account for every idle word? I I think we need to look at that one. Can you show me Matthew 12? Because we need to be... Uh, responsible if there are words I'm going to have to answer about and have to explain and give an account for, I'd rather know and, and start start 
dealing correctly with the words. Amen? Verse 36 of Matthew 12. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak. Is this in red? Did Jesus himself tell us every idle word that men speak? They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Amplified version calls idle, non-working, and inoperative. Every non-working, inoperative word. Can you pull me amplified up there? Every non-working word, every inoperative word, men will give an account on the day of judgment. In other words, everything we say is being recorded. You just think Alexa hears you. Every inoperative, non-working word will have to answer for it. And so that's why we want to make sure the words we speak are in line with our will. Amen. God says He does not own any empty words. He says, every word that I speak, every word that I speak is full of power. Hebrews 4 says, every word of God is alive, energizing, operative, active, working word. It's, he says, the words that I speak will not return to me void, Isaiah 55. The words that I speak will not return to me void, but they will accomplish what I, what I please. That's his will. So God's word accomplishes God's will. And he wants our words to be also in line with his will and indicating what we want. God's word is his will towards us and he wants our words to be our will towards him. That's why we've got to be disciplined in the thoughts because what if I think about something long enough, it's going to get in my mouth. And that's why I don't want to take wrong thoughts and allow them to have activity to the, to, at, at any level, but especially to the point that I begin to say the wrong thought with my spiritual authorization instrument, which is my voice. Hallelujah. Because every idle, inoperative, non-working word I will have to answer for. For by your words you shall be deemed right. And by your words you shall be the word condemned means to pronounce or pass a verdict. So we're not talking about heaven and hell with our words, but we're talking about being found right or found wrong with what we said. Charles Capps told the story of a woman who lived in the town where uh, he lived. And he said this woman would go around town and tell everybody about the vacation they had planned to Hawaii. And she would say, just watch and see. When the day comes for us to get on that airplane, all the kids will be sick. And she would tell everybody how they were excited about going to Hawaii, but just watch and see. 
Watch and see. And he, sure enough, the day came. They were supposed to go on their trip. And what happened? All the kids were sick. She got what she said and didn't even never realized what she was authorizing with her mouth, justifying with her mouth. Hallelujah. So when we begin to speak in line with the word of God, we are speaking rightly. If we say things that limit God and then we go to God and say, God, why didn't you come through for me? He's going to hit the replay button and say, it's because you kept saying that you, you had too much month at the end of the money. You kept saying that you didn't have enough for that. You kept saying that, that you kept falling short on that. Instead of saying, I always have more than enough. My God supplies all my needs. Amen? And you, you won't be able to go to God and say, God, why didn't you do that? He's going to say, I sent the airplane and the helicopter and the canoe. Remember the, the story of the guy who was in the flood, right? And, and the, the guys with the canoe came and the guys with the motorboat came and the guys with the helicopter came. And then he died and he's standing there in heaven and say, God, I was believing you to rescue me. Well, the words that we speak will be justified or, or deemed right or by our words we will be deemed wrong. We'll be, you said that it was, you said that you didn't have enough. You said, and so we can't blame God if it's something that we authorized with our words. Amen? And so my point is that our words are on record. The words that we speak, not just in prayer, but the words that we speak are on record. Hallelujah. And Hebrews chapter 4 identifies an even more important element of this responsibility. Hebrews 4 and verse 14 is uh, one of those instructions about holding fast to saying the right thing. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So because we have a high priest, not just any high priest, but the Son of God Himself, Jesus, our Savior, He is our high priest. We have a high priest. Because we have a high priest, let us hold fast our profession. Now, I think the word profession hinders people in the King James because we use in our society the word profession to indicate a, a, a job profession something that someone does professionally. But this word is the same word that many places is uh, translated confession. And it means to say the same thing. It is the word homologia, and it means confession or acknowledging of the truth. And it comes from the root word homologio, which means to speak the same thing. So when it says we have a high priest 
And because we have a high priest, we need to hold fast to saying the same thing. What does that connection, why is there a connection with what I say and Jesus being my high priest? What does he do as my high priest that is affected by my words and and me saying the same thing, saying the same thing as he says? And, say, and staying with that profession of faith, that declaration of faith, declaring it and holding to it. Why does it matter and what is the connection with his role as a high priest? As our high priest, he accepts. Go back to Psalm 91. Go back to Psalm 91 and see who is talking Verse 2, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Now, if I was still talking about God, me in the first person, verse 3 would be said, Surely He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He will cover me with His feathers and under... But this is not how it reads. So it is no longer I in first person speaking. It says, surely he will deliver you. Well, I will say of the Lord. But the voice changes because the speaker is now telling the one who said of the Lord, the one who made the declaration that was received, the profession of faith that was received by the high priest. Now the high priest is telling, the high priest who is receiving the sacrifice, is, was it the responsibility of the high priest to take the sacrifice that was brought from the people and present it to the Lord, to God, the Father, right? So Jesus, our high priest, receives is it referred to in Hebrews as the sacrifice of praise, the off, the 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 uh, the sacrifice, the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks? So my voice of giving thanks is an offering that Jesus receives as a high priest and offers to the Father. My declaration of faith is also received by my high priest and offered to the Father. So that's why he says seeing that we have a great high priest, let's hold fast. Let's get a hold of our mouth and keep our mouth in line with what he said and let's hold fast to it because Jesus has received what we've said. It's on record what we said and it's on record that we still, we still have it in our mouth. If you want to maintain possession of it, hold it in your mouth. How do, you, how do you hold 1 Peter 2.24? How do you hold Philippians 4.19? With the, the tongue, the hand, the, the power of the, the... It says death and life are in the power. The Hebrew says hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. The tongue is spiritual hands. If I want to hold it in my hand, 
I'm going to hold it in my mouth. I'm going to say it. I'm going to keep saying it and keep saying it. And because I'm saying it, I have possession of it. It is now in my possession. I have it. And I'm holding fast to it. Hold fast to that confession, that profession of faith. Because the high priest is receiving it and taking it to the Father. It's, it's on record and he is accepting what you're saying in faith. What did God say he would do about his word? I watch over my word to perform it. I watch over my word to perform it. Not one of God's word is going to fall short. If he's watching over it, not the word in the pages, not the word in between the covers, but the word in the heart and in the mouth. The word that's in your possession. This word is, is I'm, I'm holding the, the written word, but for it to get into the correct condition for it to be applied into my life, I have to get it in my heart. If it gets in my heart, then I can bring it out of my mouth and out of the good treasure that I've treasured up in my heart. I can bring forth good into my life. I can, I can pull it out. I can draw out good that's in my heart. How am I going to draw it out? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. So that declaration is on record with God. It's on record. And Jesus, our high priest, has received. Our part is to hold fast. Hold fast. This word hold fast, I'm going to give you a definition. It means, uh, this is from the vines. Vines concordance. It says, uh, to be strong, mighty, to prevail. To lay or take hold on and hold firmly. Hallelujah. Hold fast. So there's an effort there. Now we know why there can be so much pressure coming against your mind just to try to get you to say something wrong. The pressure that comes to your mind. You just, I mean, that, that pressure, you just, I would just feel better if I could just have 30 seconds just to speak some unbelief. Just 30 seconds to say what I feel right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. You may feel a, a momentary relief from the pressure. You know, when Peter, when, when Jesus helped Peter up out of the water, did you notice the storm stopped? You may feel that momentary relief after you just open your mouth and speak a whole bunch of unbelief and just uh, talk what it looks like. But that unbelief will be short-lived. That, that feeling of relief will be short-lived by all of the repercussions of the wrong things that were spoken in that 30 seconds. And it will take you longer to have to go and talk yourself back into the victory. It'll take more than 30 seconds of you confessing the right thing and getting the victory to be reestablished and, and the peace and dealing with all of the... Uh, uh, the, the open door of, of fear or whatever that may have been. So don't do it. Resist it and hold fast that profession of faith. 
Hold fast to saying the same thing. Hold fast to that declaration of victory. Yes. Hallelujah. This Strong's Concordance uh, includes the definition to lay your hand or to retain in this holding fast. Lay your hand. And we know again, the hand is the tongue of our spirit. In our spirit, our, so, so lay your hand on it or retain it. Retain it. Hold it fast. Retain it. Don't let this go. Don't let it go. And you've heard me use this uh, description before, but I'm going to use it again. It's about all I know from football. But, you know, if they fumble the ball, players from both sides jump from wherever they are. They are doing everything they can do, scrambling to jump on that ball to get it in their possession because they know we want the ball in our possession. That is a great way to describe this word, hold fast. Hold fast. In the original language, it means it's a two-part word, and one of the parts of the word means to come mightily, strongly, forcefully down on something. And the second part means to bring into your possession. So that's why we have the might, we have the prevailing, we have the force, but then we also have the retaining and holding in our possession in these definitions. Because it's something that I've got for me to, to get to keep playing on the field. I need to have possession of the ball. Amen. Right? So I've got to maintain possession of the answer in my mouth for me to continue having the momentum and the direction in this situation Amen. and keeping God involved in what I'm doing. Amen. Let's say that a person lets it slip and they, 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 they uh, allow the, the defeat and the, the frustration to get in their mouth. When those words are spoken, Jesus his hands are tied. There's not much he can do in that situation. Do you remember Malachi? Malachi 4. Malachi 4 and verse 13. I'm sorry, 314. 3, 313. Your words have been stout against me. That word stout means your words have tied my hands. Ooh, have mercy, Lord. Have mercy that our words can either authorize God to move in our behalf or our words can tie God's hands. He said, your words have been stout against me. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against you? You have said it is vain to serve God and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. Why would they say that? Based on something it felt like? Based on something they saw? It wasn't based on the word, was it? No, 
No, they were, they were looking at other people and they were assuming. Look how rich they are. And they don't serve God. They don't know the lack of peace in that person's life. They don't know how, how miserable they are and how that person would give up their money to, to be able to have someone they could trust. Someone who would love them for who they are. They, they, they just look and make... And then they, they bring it all back to God. It's vain to serve God. And they've said it. And God said their words tied God's hands. They were stout against God. Do you remember the people, the children of Israel, in their tent at night? In their tent. They weren't in public. They weren't at the water and hole. They weren't gathered around, you know, the, the, the public uh, campfire. They were in their tent, husbands and wives, talking to each other. And God heard them because our words are on record. And, and they got what they taught. Hallelujah. So my, my emphasis is on the holding fast. My emphasis is on the fact that our words and our, what we're saying, it is reaching heaven. It is on record. Jesus is receiving our declarations of faith. He is taking those and working with and, and, and bringing into our lives the rescue, the light, the help, the wisdom that we need as we hold fast to those confessions of faith. And we'll, we'll wrap it up here uh, in... Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 4. He says, Because we have a great high priest, let us hold fast our profession of faith. Hold it fast. Maintain it in our possession. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So not only do we have the high priest Jesus, the Son of God, but he became a man and understands the different situations that we are facing and that we are encountering and feeling and the pressure to say the wrong thing. He understands it. He's tempted in the, he was tempted in the same way without sin. So we know he will give us the strength to know how to stand in it. But notice what it says. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in to help in time of need. So the boldness and the help in verse 16 is connected to the holding fast in verse 14. Hallelujah. Let us therefore, because we have a high priest and because we're holding fast our profession of faith and he is taking 
our declaration and releasing the covenant benefits that come from that stand of faith. In the same way that Psalm 91, I will say of the Lord, because you've said that, because you've said that, no evil shall befall you and no plague shall come near your dwelling. Because you've said that, he will set you on high above all. Because you've said that. You see what, what was happening in Psalm 91? Verse 3, all the way through that mid part, was the high priest declaring what you're going to get because of your declaration. And then God himself adds two at the end and says, because you have set your love on me. Hallelujah. So when we make a declaration of faith, our high priest receives it, brings it to the Father, and the Father himself even responds in what we're, we're standing in, in that victory that we're standing in. Hallelujah. We're talking about a stronghold. A stronghold of the word. A stronghold of the word. We've got to hold it strong. We've got to, we've got to renew our mind. We've got to develop the word to such a point in our life that we have a stronghold of the word. We're continuing in it. It's continuing in us. It's abiding in us. We're abiding in it. Amen. And as we have the word in our mouth, it's recorded in heaven. This is eternal. I remember Charles Capps talking about, and and, uh, all of you studious people may be able to help me find some of the studies about it. But Charles Capps was talking about studies that uh, indicated scientists had found that words never die. That those words have gone out into the universe and are still moving through the universe. Well, we know that God said, let there be light. And it's, it's an active word Amen. that sustains. He says, his word sustains. The whole universe is sustained and upheld by his word. So the word that he spoke once is still upholding the universe. And he wants you to be speaking some things to uphold things in your life. What, what is coming out of your mouth that is sustaining what God has already started in your life. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Stand with me to your feet.